Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This series is brought to you by MetLife. At MetLife, we believe in the value of advice, and that's why we're determined to support advisors with a life insurance experience that is sustainable, efficient, and unique. So, when the unexpected happens, we're there to provide care, compassion, support, and expertise for advisors and their clients when they need it most. MetLife. Life inspired by you. Hello and welcome to this, the final episode in our five-part series on the new risk environment for income protection. As we settle in to the changes from IDII, I'm your host, Fraser Jack, and in this episode, the panel discusses the future, the possibilities and the opportunities, as well as the unknowns and the possible threats as October 2022 looms as the date for more changes. Check out what our panel thinks the future holds in this space. Welcome back, everybody, to this, the final episode where we're really starting to look at the future. Where to from here? Uh, Obviously, that's the golden question. Uh, Jeff, what are your thoughts? I think that when we're looking at old product versus new product, there will be some customers that will want to retain. Again, this is from the information that we've received from both financial advisors and clients, MetLife's received from it from across the nation, is that there'll be some customers that will want to retain grandfathered terms, benefits, options, and features such as agreed value, such as specified injuries or trauma benefits, regardless of the cost. And it's basically similar to what we saw with, and Serena's mentioned this in a previous episode, um, the lifetime accident benefits on income protection of the past. There's some clients that will hold on to those for dear life no matter what. There'll be other clients that will continue to pay their premiums until it reduces reaches a particular threshold. And then they're going to ask the advisor for more affordable alternatives. And the question is, when do you move these clients? So do you wait too long and the customer's health may have deteriorated? And when you apply for the new policy, the client may have either loadings or exclusions or worse, their decline cover altogether. Um, Or do they basically do it now and say, let's get them across when you're still fit and healthy? So I think That's one of the things we're starting to see from an income protection perspective where advisors are now having to have some very tough conversations with their clients so that they can actually sit down with the clients and say, here's where you are now. We know that with the fixed pool of clients who are now in the older products, that there's not going to be any more new people coming in. And this pool is going to be getting getting older as time goes on. As they get older, they become more risky. Premiums increase. Do you still want to pay the premiums you are now and increase premiums in the future? Or if affordability is a key issue for you, then when do we go across to the new product while you're still relatively fit and healthy so we can ensure that we have as few loadings and as few exclusions as we possibly can? So in other words, the client can make an informed decision when certain things occur. Yeah, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because we know, we know, and Serena, obviously, you will have seen this with books. When books close off, uh, they become, you know, more and more expensive. Yeah, as you know, and then the, the, those healthy people then can leave the book or leave the pool, um, leaving the the ones that aren't healthy and all can't move in there. 
and of course, their premiums just go up and up and up. Um, and, and it's and it's something that we've seen seen some of some of those older products. Yeah, it, it gets really difficult to manage. And health is the trickiest variable because we actually have no control over those things. I mean, as Kathy joked earlier, you know, clients do just ring up and say, "Oh, by the way, I've just done this," and to them, it's something inconsequential because their treating doctor has indicated that it's fine. But from an insurance perspective, it is a disaster. So hindsight is always going to be the, I guess, the judgment as to whether we called it correctly. And we just have to accept that we are not fortune tellers and we don't have crystal balls and we aren't able to do everything at the exact right moment. So for some clients, sitting and waiting to see what the lay of the land is, is going to be fine. For other people, they will end up being stuck for whatever reason, you know, if, if they have a medical event now, they are now potentially precluded from going across. I think one area that insurers probably will be looking at is what mechanism we can have potentially from moving um, older books of clients across to newer style products, what potential underwriting considerations we may have, depending on what reinsurer sits behind the old product versus the new to how we might smooth some of that across uh, and what levels that they're willing to take on on for that. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of feels like there's this unknown about the future, the unknown about when, at what point the client's health history is going to be uh, affected where they can't physically move from one to, you know, to a new product uh, versus the unknown of the premiums versus the unknown of, you know, at what point the book. Uh, and it's very easy for, um, you know, and John, you mentioned lawyers in the past. It's very easy for a Morris Blackburns of the world to go, oh, you should have done it then. Why didn't you do it then? Therefore, uh, let's throw some uh, let's throw some mud and see if it sticks. I think, I think the one thing you have to realize with most clients is that today is the healthiest most clients are going to be. Once you go to tomorrow or the next day or the next week or next year, in most cases, clients are going to have more things wrong with them. Um, it's just the nature of getting old. I think there's also not the final it's it we're not finally through it as well too, Fraser. Um it's there's there's still that that five-year rule, um, you know, and I think everyone just got over the first of October last year and it's just like <sighs> that hurdle. Um, but there's one final hurdle, and, and Jeff, I'd love to hear your comments around this because you know I think everyone's crossing their fingers, crossing their toes, and hoping that it doesn't get through. But you know what? What are you hearing on the ground, and uh, and the potential implications if it gets through as well, too? So I'll play this. So what we know from APRA is that there are three more measures that are due to come in on the first of October, 2022. And all three measures are in relation to policies issued on or after the 1st of October, 2022. And effectively, they're what's called the five-year rules. So the first one is that the duration of any policy will be no more than five years. So that's the, that's the first one. And that's for new policies issued. So existing policies can be to age 65 and all the rest of it. But that's the first bit. The second bit with those policies is that at the end of every five-year period, the life insured gets re-underwritten for pastimes, for income, and for occupation, not for health. And then the third component of that five-year rule is that when the policy gets renewed, the terms, benefits, and conditions 
are at the date of renewal. So if the terms, benefits, and conditions have been improved, you then get the improved policy. If the terms, benefits, and conditions have been stripped back, then you get the stripped back policy. So that's what we know from APRA right now. And again, that's our that's our starting point. And that's what the insurance companies are now working towards uh, in, what, 10 months' time. Can we look abroad, Jeff, for anything similar that has been implemented in other countries with a five-year rule? Because I see that as very hard to administer on all angles, yeah, from an advisory perspective, an insurer's perspective, um, even a client's perspective. Um, it, it sounds like an absolute messed for me um once again i think there's issues with certainty as well too why are we actually fundamentally getting personal protection um you know it's to have certainty if it's going to be renewed every five years with the option to get out well what's what's the value of the of the personal protection they have kicked the can down the road um correct me if i'm wrong these were supposed to be get, get done as well too on the first of october 2021 so yeah just what's happened abroad if any and then if it hasn't happened abroad you know, from my perspective, what are they thinking? Well, I think let's let's start with the first bit. Um, the product that we have in Australia right now is the best income protection product in the world, and that's that's a really good starting point for us to be at. And that's in, that's based on the products that were issued on or after the first of October, twenty twenty one. So the ones that have just came out. So that's our starting point, and that was based on a worldwide survey. What we've also found is that in many jurisdictions the maximum benefit period is only two years. So what it means is that a, a five-year benefit period, there's some, there some that do, there's, there's some places that do it, but it's all, usually on exception. The, the norm in most jurisdictions around the world is a two-year benefit period for income protection or salary continuance or income replacement, depending on what you want to call it. So a five-year benefit period, sorry, a five-year duration um, is still potentially one of the best in the marketplace. Now, again, there's various things that they have. Some places will have a 10-year 10 10 year duration. Some have a five-year, some have some. But again, we're looking at what we have, and that's still a very good policy based on world standards. Now, bring it back to Australian standards. What does it do from an uncertainty point of view for the client? Well, it means that every five years, I have to resubmit my income, my occupation, and pastimes to the insurance provider. So if I go from being a brain surgeon to being a garbage collector, then I've got to basically inform them of that and my income that goes along with it. If I go from being a garbage collector to a brain surgeon, same situation. Now, from a pastimes perspective, I've gradually picked up more pastimes over my, over my life. So I've gone from being a person who is only involved with a a sport that's not too violent called ice hockey, to being involved with ice hockey, then karate, then ice hockey, then karate, then jumping out of a plane on my 50th birthday with a parachute on my back, to ice hockey, karate, parachuting, and and now I got my motorcycle license a couple of years ago. So I'm one of these people that as I'm getting older, I'm picking up more, more risky pastimes. So you have to then submit that as well. So what we're seeing is that the product that we have in Australia is still arguably, even with a five-year duration and change of terms and conditions, is still arguably going to be one of the best in the world. As good, It just doesn't seem as good as the policies we already have. Serena? I, I would say that maybe we as advisors are, are jumping ahead with our worries and that the person 
that we're thinking about, the client, actually already has a bit of an expectation that when big things change in their life, I often get called saying, should I tell the insurance company I've changed my job? You know, I, I think there is a a general thought that there should be a connection between what they do and what they're insured for. So I'm wondering if some of the pushback that we're all thinking is actually around our lens, not not theirs, and whether in the longer term these things are actually going to make it more beneficial. I mean, I, I absolutely grant that it will be extraordinarily challenging, administratively challenging, particularly if people have different start dates um, over time. You know, it's not that always people have one policy and that's it. You might have insured yourself for 10 grand a month and you've added on another five. That's got a different start date. All of these things, it's it's going to become a mess. I completely agree there. But I, I drill back to thinking what is the intention and the intention is to make sure that what the insurer took on is actually somewhat similar to what they're going to be paying a claim on. And and I don't have a huge issue with that. Um, I, I just think that we have to be really, really careful how we pull this together. Yeah, John. Who's paying for it? Huh? So when we've got more administration, when we've got more administration, more paperwork, all of that stuff, who's paying for it? Okay. Yeah, I'm crying. I'm crying while you ask that. Yeah. So 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 there's one. Yeah. Two as well, too, I think it goes back to the certainty card. Like take everything we've got, like the sole fundamental reason why people get insurance is for peace of mind and for, you know, the coverage. If you think about car insurance, you think about house insurance, it's like as long as we've told them the right thing and we continue to pay our premiums, we will be paid. Where personal insurance differs is is obviously a self-assessment on you and your health, okay? Um, But that importance factor then skyrockets. So uncertainty and importance and dependency of that individual is at the highest it's ever been. Now, do clients think that? No, because we're not wired that way. We don't wake up in the morning thinking something's going to happen to us or else we wouldn't get anywhere in life. But going back to this, I understand why now they're putting it to the table because it creates a, a, a better sustainable industry which is this is what this whole APRA law changes were about okay but once again what's the flow and effect well you're removing uncertainty if you go to say to someone well listen that's cool we're setting this up now in five years time you're going to have to tell us again it's just that another hurdle that we've got to come over in regards to setting the expectation of you need this stuff you know how to high water you need this stuff Um, and then the administration I'm not sure if the insurers um, with apparently no cash in the bank are willing to go, all right, sweet, we're going to now pay you more commission. Um, you know, we're just going to do a backflip and now start paying the upfront commissions or, or back to where they were. And I may, I may learn differently of that, okay, but that's one of the big ones. Um, so then it's, I imagine going to the client now, let's paying this out after five years and saying, yep, it's time to review. You've got that letter in the mail that you probably didn't read about, but lucky you've got an advisor that's read this. And to do this, it's going to cost you $4,500 because we've got to do 25 hours worth of uh, time to be able to, to do this because it'll be from a best interest duty legislative perspective. It's a review. We've got to compare other products. It's a, it's a trigger point event. Yeah, so from a best interest duty perspective, time, effort, cost, money, understand why they've done it once again. There's other red tape that either needs to go or there's other changes that haven't. And from what I can read, Jeff, there's there's no indication that uh, they're increasing remuneration or, or, or the government's funding a, uh, a, uh, a scheme for free advice or something to Australians at the five-year point. 
Kathy, you had something to say? I think, though, we mentioned earlier, when's the best time to change the client from the old product to the new product? But we're also in a situation that for the past three years, we've had bubble points, right? Every time a change happens, we're getting masses of clients into the system right before the change happens, right? So between now and this supposed date in October this year, I'm hearing that, you know, from BDMs, they're like, oh, we probably will be changing our product you know, like expect some changes. And we've already seen it since 1 October. So not only are we looking at a bubble point of October this year, but, you know, if I change a client today to a product that next week is a better product than it was today, at what point is it the best point in time? You know, and I think, you know, personally, I'm a client who can't change insurance books. I'm going to be a client who's stuck in those old books that's going to get more and more expensive. Um, what does that mean for me? Um, you know, I'll deal with that. I'll do a risk needs analysis and figure that out for myself. But we use that experience to talk to the client about you're stuck in this book. How does that work? This is why I can't move you to the new book. For those clients that I can move to the new book, why is today better than tomorrow when we're hearing that policy changes are coming through? And I think so I'm looking at, you know, not even getting to that October bubble um, based on what I know today because so many changes happen. This flows on to I'm concerned for my colleagues in this advice space in terms of the work environment that we have had over the past two years and the work environment that we will potentially have over the next 12 months if this 10 October bubble or October bubble comes in because we know what happens, we've seen it happen, and we're looking at more and more work on more and more advisors when there's less advisors in the space. So change is great that the insurers and the regulatory bodies are happy with that, but the flow on to the human aspect of that in the future, it's a massive concern. And I think at some point that needs to be considered in all of these changes as well. Tarina? The difficulty also is between triaging for people that have cover in place versus people that have nothing. You know, it, you are constantly trying to juggle hours in the day and, and and yeah, crystal ball gazing to think how can I make sure I've helped the, the most number of people in the best possible way and I I have, yeah, I haven't missed anything. Yeah, Kathy's right. There is an, an enormous amount. And with the bubble points, you know, the the pressure that gets put around those times, and it's for everyone, it is for all of the insurers, it's, you know, it, it's bizarre. It becomes extremely intense. Jeff, there's been a, bit, a, bit, a couple of mentions there about um, about the changes and how the products may look completely different uh, over the next um, sort of, you know, well, well, at least when the next bubble point hits, but uh, the changes between now and then of, of all of these different products. I think the the major changes that we've saw occurred on the first of October, twenty twenty one, and that basically were fun, that that was the fundamental changes with regards to replacement ratios, the ancillary benefits such as uh, trauma benefits, ancillary benefits such as specified injury benefits have been stripped away, and you're now getting a pure income protection policy. The five-year rules, I think it's allowing the insurance companies to manage risk so that, and again, we've, we've discussed this in previous podcasts, that the 
APRA provisions that they have for the five-year rule is to ensure that the clients can reset and make sure that the product is appropriate for their current circumstances. So if they've changed occupations, if, they've cha- if their income has changed, it gives them a five-year reset situation, which I think is incredibly, um, incredibly appropriate. Now, the question that's going to be asked is if it, the policy is five years in duration, then does that mean the benefit period can be no more than five years? And again, that hasn't, that, ans- that hasn't been answered yet. The second question along with that is, again, John alluded to this before, was that since this is deemed to be a new policy, then does the advisors get new upfront remuneration associated with that? And then the third component of this is that when it comes to re-underwriting, do the insurance companies have the resources or the processes and procedures in place to effectively re-underwrite 20% of their book every year? Because that's basically what it's going to be going forward. So that means that you either have to have more underwriters or better technology. John mentioned about administration and John mentioned about remuneration. So again, has this been priced in? And what does that mean to the premiums that are going to be paid by the by the consumer. So all of those issues are still yet to be addressed. I know that the various, um, I know the Financial Services Council has discussed this with APRA. I know that various insurance companies, including MetLife, has also discussed this with APRA to find out what's the best way to implement this. Because we, we know what the reason for it, for it is. It's trying to make sure that, that we have an appropriate product that provides appropriate cover for the client in their current circumstances. That's it. So, and this was the the last of the measures to basically facilitate that process. So what's going to happen in the next 10 months, Not don't know. But I know that as an industry, um, the various industry bodies along with the insurance companies are working with APRA to find a solution for the 1st of October. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting what pops up out of this because, as you said, twenty percent of everybody's book uh, to be re-underwritten. Uh, that you know, it doesn't just add cost and uh, to the insurance company; it's adding cost to the, in the advice practice, which is, uh, of course, adding adding cost to the consumer at the end of the day. John, one hundred percent, and this is what I'm getting at: that a lot of these regulatory changes, um, we've seen the cost of advice absolutely skyrocket. Um, you know, I, I know in my practice and a lot of other people's practices that I'm speaking to, this is, you know, common um, across the board as much as we've embraced technology as much as possible, um, you know, to try and curve that. I think it would be much worse if we didn't embrace technology. Um, so we just need to we just need to think this out and uh, have proper consultation with the right people. Uh, I think the other thing as well too is just as a community, really kind of collaborating with one another and, and having a, uh, a a singular voice um, and not a, a, a pointy end as well. I'm not talking about where there's one or two people that are voicing um, their opinion. It's more about voicing a, a common kind of collaborative opinion or view that we can then you know push out to public and then push out to, to government. Um, I think the, the biggest thing that I hear on the ground from a lot of people is around first, what do you guys do? And that's pretty scary that they still don't know what we do. So that's one. Um, two, everyone's 
everyone's got an opinion in everything that that's goes without saying, but you know, as a profession, what's our view? Like what's, what do we think that this needs to look like and, and express our concerns in regards to, we're talking here around affordability for clients. You know, that's not because we want to be putting more money in our pockets. That's because we want more people having protection so that if um, that clients have coverage. And so that's really where we want to be going with this. And and people would have seen, hopefully, on my social platforms. But if you're not on my social platforms, feel free to get on there. Uh, don't beat me up too much. But, you know, I'm just trying to get out there and have that that voice that I'm hearing from my other financial advisor friends. And hopefully we can do that collectively as well. And then once again, public first. And if the public has a big enough voice um, that they start to put their lens towards that and start to really focus in that area. And that's only going to come from collaboration across the board. Uh, now, Serena, you also mentioned uh, previously, um, actually before we, we recorded this, around the concept of that's not the only changes that's taking place. There's a lot of changes going on, especially even within the, uh, the super legislation changes uh, uh, and just that people um, are struggling to keep up with all of the changes. Yeah, so I think a lot of people I've come across um, are unaware that they've lost cover from those couple of changes of protecting your super and member super first or all of the different wording that they used. And granted, I realised that, um, you know, they were sent many letters, but most people don't read them. And if they do read them, it doesn't fully sink in as to what on earth has happened. So there still is quite a big disconnect between, you know, information being shared and then that that consequence to people. So it's it's pretty sad when people think they've got cover and it turns out they don't because normally the trigger point for looking for it is because something's happened. Yep, and then it's too late. Yeah, definitely is. Very good. Now, I want to hear from each of our panel members. Um, again, we're talking about the future. Where to from here? What's the optimistic, uh, the view, the version? What uh, tips are we giving to advisors thinking about, um, thinking about 2022 and beyond? Uh, let's start with you, Cathy. I think, look... Everyone, regardless of what you've been doing over the past two years, you've had to be adaptable and open to change. Regardless of what you're doing, we've all had to do it. Even us, I think most of us are sitting at home today dialing in, you know, this is something that we never thought we'd have. Um, You know, Zoom wasn't even a word that I knew two years ago. I think going forward, just be open to being adaptable still and and embracing that change Um, is tough as it's going to be sometimes, um, as frustrating as it's going to be. Um, I expect that the next 12 months is still going to be change um, and just, yeah, be open to that um, and be open to telling other people if you're struggling with that change as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Obviously, there's people are handling it all in different ways, and and we're all we're all rallying around each other to try and um, support those that um, aren't coping that well with it. Um, so you're you're expecting more change, John. Uh, what, what what about the where's the future? What's the next twelve months to two years for uh, look for for advisors and your thoughts? It's actually. I think amazing. I think the connections that I've started to have with people that are sharing the same struggles, the same opportunities has been amazing. And I think that that's going to continue. And I think that what was once a profession that was very isolated is getting smaller, but getting more close knit. Okay, and I think that that needs to continue for us to continue to rally and move forward. I think that the industry 
um, is going to continue to res- uh, have change in 2022, it's probably, well, I'm probably hoping that it's not going to be as much change as we had in 2021. I think there's going to be more consistent change that is going to happen. Obviously, we've already talked about some, but there is a lot of things that is is to come to head, like, you know, um, the pricing pressures on existing books, you know, uh, that's not going to come straight away. Uh, the increased demand for personal protection advice is, is I, I don't see it as at its highest, I think it's still yet to come. And also from unadvised clients as well that may have not yet had, and I hate to put it this way, but this is where it is, is some of those horror stories where they wish they had an advisor to map it out. And that is still yet to come. And so in the next few years, there's going to be a lot of opportunity and a lot of exciting times, I think, ahead. Um, but just get ex- get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. It's <laughs> a really good tip. Uh, Serena, what are your thoughts moving forward? Uh, For me, it would be that no one succeeds alone. And so it's around building your your network, your your team, your people. And that's not just inside your business, it's it's broad um, to to collaborate, to to know that you can benefit from other people's ideas and your own um, will make the, the work a lot more enjoyable. To, to also then very much focus on your processes so that we are putting our time and energy into the areas that actually require our our hearts and our, our emotions and our thinking. So to put our time into the people part and wherever possible to automate and process as much of the rest of it as you can and, and where you have those solid processes, you, you don't have to sit there worrying about compliance because compliance is part of your process it is always built in and and to get excited about helping newer entrants to the industry around the the great work that we we can do and and to be open you know I I think all of us over time have seen people where they're like oh you know it used to be much better in the old days and times change and they're going to continue to change change is change is normal and you know whilst some of it I, I feel needs to be very well considered and I can absolutely see some of the changes need more work before being implemented. It, it's what's going to happen. So just get your people around you and, and uh, get busy. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, Jeff, we'll let you uh, have a go at this one as well. What, what are your thoughts on um, uh, and tips for advisors on uh, the, the, the future? Well, having been in the industry for almost 30 years, um, what I realized is that change is constant. So the reason that um, nerds like me get a job is that every time there's a legislative or regulatory change, I get basically under the bonnet and get to play with this stuff. So it's going to be here. Um, so one, change is constant. Two, embrace it. The opportunities right now, again, our advisor force, there's about 18,000 advisors. It's been reduced from about 28,000 three years ago, which means there's more opportunities for the existing advisors to build very strong, very deep relationships with their clients. Embrace it, take it on board, enjoy it. The other thing is be proud of your profession. This is just such a great profession. And the reason that I like the life insurance side of things and the reason most of us are in here is that we we inherently like helping people. And this is the one situation when people actually go through a tough time. MetLife and the other insurance providers in the industry actually give a check to the clients 
So for me, that's something to be incredibly proud of because I've got to see this over a number of years and we've got a great industry. So I want to embrace it and be proud of what we do. Be proud of this profession. And again, if you have, if you want any help or assistance, please call out, just like Serena said, and MetLife's more than willing to assist with any advisors that need assistance. So again, I, I'm enthusiastic about what, what, to look, what we get to look forward to. Yeah, wonderful, uh, fantastic words. And of course, I want to give everybody the opportunity um, just to, to to quickly shout out them um, their own details on social media if they want. If somebody else wants to continue the conversation uh, with you on these particular things, uh, let's start with you, John. What's the what's the um, where can people find you on social? Um, they can so usually go onto LinkedIn. Probably the easiest one. Just type in John Casher, um, C A C H I A. And uh, on Instagram as well too. So uh, you'll see the professional side on LinkedIn. You'll probably see the real John um, on Instagram at the John Casher uh, is the handle. <laughs> Moving to TikTok next, Fraser. Moving to TikTok next. I'll, I'll see you there. Yeah, see you uh, there. <laughs> so, so, Serena, how can people uh, reach out to you? Uh, I'm pretty light on social media. Um, only LinkedIn would be my sole platform. Uh, welcome any commentary on that. Fantastic. And Kathy? I'm LinkedIn as well. If anyone wants to connect on there, happy to take them on that space as well. Fantastic. And Jeff, tell us about uh, the people that what the way that uh, advisors can reach out to yourself uh, and your team um, if they've got questions and want, and want to have a chat about technical issues. First thing is our, our BDMs and state managers at MetLife are very well versed. So first, um, make contact with your BDM or state manager in respective states. Um, if on the rare occasion they can't, they're unable to assist because it's too nerdy for them, then they'll flick it across to me and more than willing to do that. Again, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, my email address, if you need it, um, jeffrey.j.scott at metlife.com and or you can contact me by a phone 0410-001-683. So again, uh, more than willing to assist. I know that um, I've talked to John in the past, I've talked to Serena in the past help them out with technical stuff. There's other advisors have done it as well. Kathy, I'm looking forward to a phone call from you when you've got your next technical question. And again, the MetLife team is here to help out. So again, uh, please contact me anytime. And I'm just going to give a shout out to MetLife as well too. They've been absolutely amazing. Um, their research, ta- the, the, the technical team, the support that they've given has been absolutely amazing. So for advisors that are listening and looking for someone or a team too, uh, it's not just coming from Jeff. I'm sure Serena who's, who, who can, can vouch for them as well. They've been absolutely amazing. Uh, and it's great to have someone like that or a team like that in our profession. Uh, happy to help. And I would like to thank you all uh, as a part of an amazing panel to come along and, and chat about this topic today uh, and spend so much time on, uh, on providing this great content then for your fellow peers. Uh, so I really appreciate all of your time and efforts. Thank you. While care has been taken in preparing this material, MetLife Insurance Limited does not warrant or represent that the information, opinions or conclusions contained in this presentation are accurate. The information provided is general information only and is current at the time of production. To the extent permitted by law, MetLife does not accept any responsibility or liability arising from your use of this information. The information about MetLife life insurance is general only and does not take into account your personal situation, needs or objectives. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice and should not be relied upon as such. 
MetLife recommends that you obtain independent and specific advice from appropriate professionals before implementing a financial strategy, including reading any relevant product disclosure statements and terms and conditions. Before deciding whether to acquire or continue to hold any of our products, please read the PDS available at metlife.com.au. And for the class of consumers who the products are likely to be suitable for and any conditions around how the product can be distributed, please read the target market determinations for the products available at metlife.com.au as prepared by MetLife and Equity Trustees Superannuation Limited. Life insurance products are issued by MetLife Insurance Limited, ABN 75004274882, AFSL 238096, and Equity Trustees Superannuation Limited, ABN 50055641757, AFSL 229757.